Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. Come inside, the show's about to start. Welcome to the show, everybody. Seth and Sean Sports Radio, Blog Talk Radio, BackSportsTakes.com. We are here once again. It is the second week in May. A beautiful day in Atlanta. I'm not exactly sure how it is in New York. Seth, welcome. Uh, welcome. Uh, it's 73 degrees, so no real complaints okay. here. Not a, not a cloud in the sky. Excellent. So uh, now you know what I've been feeling for the last two and a half months. Congratulations. Well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, happy birthday to you. Uh, we, are, we are now past Thank the birthday you. show. Thank you. Uh, a, a very nice, relaxing birthday where I walked two miles to a bar and it brought upon looks like nobody had ever seen somebody in Atlanta walking on the sidewalk. Um <laughs> And then I got, and then I got to the bar, and I was a little sweaty. And the bartender looked at me and said, "Have you been walking?" I was like, "Yes, I've walked for the last half hour." You know there are cars around here, right? You could have gotten an Uber. I was like, "Yes, I know that." Um, <laughs> yeah, walking being walking just being a a totally foreign concept to people in Atlanta. But you know what? I had a good time. <coughs> Aside from the fact that the Islanders uh, lost four straight after beating Pittsburgh four straight, a little bit of a demoralizing defeat. But you know what, Seth? I couldn't have asked for a better year for my Islanders considering what you and I talked about last July in that we, we both thought, especially coming into this year, that the Islanders just weren't going to do anything. And look, they won a series. Um, I think anything at that point was gravy. So uh, I can't be happier for the outcome, except for next year. I just hope that they play a lot more games in the Coliseum. Well, first of all, can we shut off the music? We, we've been, we, we, we heard the entire song. Oh, is that what that is? I, Hold I, on a second. I enjoy the jam band, but usually 45 seconds is sufficient. Sorry about that. Okay, there we go. go on. No, we, uh, we don't have the music. I was, I, I was talking with Mike Nuremberg about this, who is as big an Islander fan as you are, and he does not have the same. He was more disgusted than anything else, I think, because he thought this was a winnable series. And considering how the first two games went, which we both, which New York, which Islanders did outplay Carolina, um, but lost. You know, game four was you know by game four it was over. But all in all, the Ewing theory holds yet again, and. As it did today in one of the like, most amazing sporting events you'll ever see. Would you like to explain what the Ewing theory is for those that have no idea? Okay. The Ewing theory was invented by Bill Simmons, or was popularized, I should say, by Bill Simmons 
when he was writing for ESPN2 in maybe 2005, 2006. This may have even been when he was writing as uh, the Boston sports guy. Whereas you lose your best player and your team does better as a result. This is based on when Ewing was uh, traded in 98 from the Knicks, I guess it was to Seattle, or I, I forget. And then led by Sprewell, Charles Sprewell and Allen Houston and Marcus Camby, they would go where Ewing only took the team once in 13 years to the NBA Finals where they would lose. They, were, they would be game but would be outclassed by a better San Antonio team led by David Robinson and a second-year Tim Duncan. And we've seen that many, many times uh, since now that, now that the idea has kind of come into the public eye. And you've actually seen it if you go back into the past. Look, Elgin Baylor, right? He loses, he sure. leaves L.A. and all of a sudden they become that they win championship They 33 in a row. Sure. And now, granted, they had a little bit of help with Jerry West and Will Chamberlain, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers when trying to conjure up theories. So the fact is <laughs> the, Islanders, the Islanders lose by far their best player in John Tavares last year. And they have a great – look, they, I am understanding Mr. Nuremberg's point of view. Definitely a winnable series. And I think if you ask me after game one and game two, I, game one I was – I don't know if I was completely downtrodden, but I certainly was disappointed by the outcome. Having watched a 0-0 game go into overtime, certainly a winnable game. Game two, the same thing. But by, by the loss in game four, which was completely overmatched, and Robert Leonard gets pulled for Tom Grice, I kind of took a little step back. And I know, look, part of my move down here to the south was to stop being so front-facing and, to, and, and observe a little bit. And, and I took a little step back and said, you know what? Where was I in July? Where was I in September as an Islander fan? And truth be told, where I was in September as an Islander fan was, please just don't be embarrassing. And where I am today as an Islander fan is, yeah, we lost four in a row. Okay, those things happen and happen in every sport. But we beat the Penguins four in a row we were in first place at, in, in a pretty late part of this season, and Carolina just thoroughly outplayed us in game three and eight, game four. We didn't deserve to win this series. We deserved to win game one and game two, but we certainly didn't deserve to win the series as a whole. And so I look back on it and say, you know what? We had a good year. We really did. Only one team. I think this is more of my thought process ever since I became – a really hardcore basketball fan, college basketball, is that there is only going to be one team at the end of this. And chances are it's not going to be mine. <laughs> because even if, even if the, the averages are all there, one out of 30 only gives me a 3.3% chance to begin with. So I'll take, a good, I'll take a good run. I understand Mr. Nuremberg's point of view. I respect it entirely. And uh, I'm looking forward to October of next year, 100%. By the way, do you think anyone from – do you think you'd be having discussion forgetting the Islanders? You know, we could be 
looking at a Carolina Colorado Stanley Cup. Yeah. Yeah, one that I'm what just a not interested. This has been. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming I mean, your only all, interest but, is in Boston losing. Yes. Well, you know, I told you this at the beginning of the playoffs, and I'll tell it to you again. I think Columbus has the best talent in the Eastern Conference. I do. I think they have had the best talent since the trading deadline when they picked up Duchesne and Dingler and Kapanarin and Borowski. I do. I think they, and at the beginning of the playoffs when we made picks, I said, if this team comes together, this is the team I would not want to face if I was the Islanders or anybody else. If they can beat Boston, the team's going to win the Stanley Cup. They can't. They got, they, got, they got knocked out. Oh, they Why lost last night. This? Sorry, I forgot that game. Sorry. Because I was on my first date in Atlanta last night. So I didn't want to. I know. Back in back in the game, baby. Back in the game. Tell me about Tell me about the date. Uh, it was It's it's a little look, getting off the schneid (laughs) is not the easiest thing to do. No matter what You did that last concept or two weeks ago. No, no, no. (laughs) Different schneid. Different (laughs) schneid. Come on. Come on. Hey, hey, be, be, Seth, be a gentleman. Be a gentleman. <laughs> so, <laughs> different schneid. Getting, getting back into the game, whatever game that may be, after a long spell away, and look, I'm for one to tell you that it's been a while since I dated. Um, it was nice to get out. I don't think that this is going to be the future Mrs. Palmer, if there is going to be one. I don't think it will be her, but at the same time, it was not. It was a nice night out, and I did see that Boston was playing Columbus, and I just forgot that that series ended. So, yes, I hope Boston uh, falls a very on the mighty sword of whoever that is. Um, but at the same time, you know what? My, the Bruins are not exactly the team that. Look, I hate the Celtics. I've always hated the Celtics. I've always hated the Red Sox for whatever reason. I've always hated them, probably because of 1986. I have never had the same hatred towards the Bruins, and I never will because you just don't, unless it's the Rangers, I just don't have it in hockey. So if Boston plays well and they win a Stanley Cup, am I going to be thrilled and excited? No, but look. If you're NBC, you're rooting for Boston, as you sore as hell do not want Carolina in that series. No, you don't. Because the idea of Car- – well, we have, we have game seven tonight of Dallas-St. Louis, and my assumption is whoever wins that is who NBC will be rooting for. Um, although San Jose is a better story. San Jose also going game seven after Colorado wins in overtime on a really fluky-looking goal. Um, yep. But game seven tonight, game seven, a bunch of game sevens. I'll tell you, the NBA, both the NBA and the NHL playoffs, uh, something to behold. As we go, every series is 2-2, I believe, except for Boston-Milwaukee. And the one thing we didn't see was we didn't see Milwaukee sweeping Boston in Boston the way they have. Nope. 
Nope, but let's let's go on to that because look, last night Kyrie goes, I believe it was seven for twenty two. And after the game, when asked about his shooting, if you are a leader, if you are a and look, NBA, uh pro basketball talk picked this up a little bit and I can't say I didn't take some of this from them, but it was definitely on my mind. If you go seven for twenty two and you're asked after the game, well, what should you have done differently? And your response, if you are Kyrie Irving, is saying, well, I should have shot more. You kind of look at in the mirror and say, you should have shot more? What kind of leader is that? Maybe I should have deferred to the other players, right? I mean, I'm already 7 for 22. What do you want me to be, 8 for 30? I mean, <laughs> I think this, once again, proves to me that Kyrie will not be back, no matter what. Yeah. Even if they win a championship, he will not be back in, in the Garden next year. Now, he doesn't seem to have the temperament to be a number one. And number one, not as a, per se, as a score, but number one as an overall team leader, which brings, which will lead to a whole other list of issues. Because if he leaves, I'm pretty sure they're not trading for Anthony Davis, which opens up a whole which opens that up to a whole sort of different sort of opportunities. And whether David Griffin may even... Because without, without the Boston trade, without Jason Tatum, there's nobody out there, I think, that New Orleans is really jonesing to get. And if David Griffin can figure out a way to bring in a one stud, maybe they can keep him. Look, I think you're missing one guy. And I think its name is Zion. And I think a week from today is the lottery on the 14th in Secaucus, New Jersey. And we'll see if that envelope is cold, if it's ice cold. Because, <laughs> again, again, the Patrick a Ewing theory Patrick going Ewing, back to. Many Patrick, Ewing, many Patrick Ewing references tonight. Indeed, including the fallaway jump shot. But the fact is, if the Knicks win that lottery – and they get Durant, and they get Kyrie. I mean, you're setting David Griffin up. You absolutely are, because I'm not sure I would do the trade, depending on how much you have to give up. But Anthony Davis is a top-five player in the NBA, yes? We would agree? On that, on that level, give or take. Okay, definitely in the top ten, Yes. Definitely yeah. in the top ten, yeah. probably in the top five. There are, even if he's not in the top five, for the next five years, he's in the top five, like going forward. So okay. if you have the opportunity to get him and you have to give up Zion, and you're in the next, <clears throat> I think you have to do it. I don't think there's any, any way you don't do it, depending on what else you have to give up. But no, there is well, a no, way you don't do. If you don't get if you don't get Durant and Irving, you don't do the trade. Oh right. But here's the thing: if you don't get Durant and Irving, I still think you do it. I still think you have to do it. Why would he? Depending on what else. Why would he? Depending on what. Depending on what else you have to give up. If it's just Zion straight up for Anthony Davis, you don't do that. Of course you do it. Of course you do it. But okay. that's not going to be the trade. Agreed. So let's say it's Zion. Uh, agreed. I know that. 
But remember, the Knicks can take that salary and don't have to, let's assume they don't get a Kyrie, let's assume they don't get Kevin Durant. They have $70 million in salary, cap room. They can make that trade without, without giving back any salary whatsoever. Sure. So, and they can even take a Solomon. So let's say, let's see David Griffin wants to reset, completely reset everything, and says, all right. You're trading Drew Holiday. Get, not only are you trading Drew Holiday, you're trading Solomon Hill, who has $10, $11 million on his deal this year. So you're trading $60 million to the Knicks, and you're getting Zion Williamson and, let's say, Kevin Knox. Okay? Talent-wise, definitely not an equal trade. I get that. But you have now cleared $60 million off the books if you are New Orleans in one deal. And you get Zion Williamson, who, who is a marketable player, who is somebody that will bring people to the seats. I'm not sure you don't do that. I'm not sure that's not better than every other co- – Every other deal in the NBA, definitely better than the Lakers deal. The, pro- the, the problem you have is how does New Orleans – yes, they clear the salary. They clear $60 million, but they have to be able to bring in some high-level free agents to actually sure. lose the money for. And okay, I'm not sure fair. they can do that without Davis. Zion is okay, not going to bring in free agents. Okay. So what you now, do with that I mean, cap room, what you, what you do that with that cap room is the exact same thing the Nets have done, right? You make trades where you get where you take on bad salaries. Look, if you if you're clearing the decks and all you have is Zion Williams, right? You take on not. bad salaries. You take on bad salaries and you get first round picks. Yep, you become a garbage disposal, which is what the Nets. The Nets and Hawks have it, done for three years, and done it well, oh, the, mind you. The Nets have been the Nets have been lucky. Look, I, I root for the Nets. The Nets have been good, but they've also been lucky. Agreed. Uh, think about all the people, all the people they tried to sign and failed. Otto Porter yep. would have been overpaid. Tyler Johnson would have been overpaid. Yep. Alan Crabb. Alan Crabb, who was overpaid, <laughs> and now is, and now right, that would actually be. Who they, a guy that they would trade to New Orleans with a first-round pick to clear the space. Well, I know there's I'll a dating stretch option on him. Yeah, I'll give you another one. How the Nets, and granted, we've just moved from the Knicks to the Nets, but that's okay. Moving from the Nets, you want to know how the Nets were lucky? Calvis LeVert was a pick that they should, that was a flip from the Celtics. They got they got Levert in the twenties. No, it wasn't. Levert maybe. No, it wasn't. It was a trade to Indiana for Thaddeus Young. Oh, you're right. You're right. Still, still clearing the decks. Yes, clearing right. the decks. You're you're right. You're right. I forgot about and that. And that trade did fine for, for Indiana Young. also. Look, Levert's the best it's player it. on the team. So, you know my. My feeling is if they had to sign either, they're in an interesting position because I don't know what the interest is with them. Meaning, I don't know if Durant will take a meeting with them. I don't know 
if Tobias Harris will take a meeting with them. I, I just don't know. To me, it's an extremely attractive position. The team is very young, well-coached, well-run, good GM, good talent, can afford at least one max agent, max free agent, may be able to, to do a second even without trading Russell, without letting go of Russell by doing the stretch on Crab. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how what happens with, with them in the in yeah. free agency. Yeah, and we'll touch upon free agency in a couple of weeks, especially once we find out the draft lottery, probably around Memorial Day, we'll start talking free agency, but Let's let's understand one thing, Seth. If the Nets want to have even one, even one max room, they have to get rid of basically all of their um, all their role players. They will not be able to re-sign Ed Davis. They will not be able to. They're going to look like a much different team if they are going to take on a max contract without getting rid of D'Angelo Russell. That's just the way. Yes and no. They have, I believe, $20 million already in space. Right. I think Correct. they're going to renounce Jefferson. Renounce how, which will be about 8 to $10 million. I would think that would pretty much get them there. To get two, no, they'd max, have to renounce everybody. No, a max contract is $32 million in where you're looking. In right. The Kyrie. If they're 20, and if they're tw- First of all, I hope yep. to hell they don't get Kyrie. I think they're twenty million under the cap right now. Yeah, the only person to me that's worth maxing is Durant. Um, I would rather and Durant have Kemba has, than Durant, Kyrie. Durant starts at thirty-five million dollars. So I'm just laying it Durant out. Durant is the top three. You, right. Yeah. So you have to get fifteen million. So your your team, and look, let's table this for now. We'll actually have a whole show on what teams have to do. I think that's a, that's a good right. show to be in the middle of May slash June when you are sick of baseball and we're already done with, with the finals in both of these sports. So, so we'll table it for now and we'll come back because I think that th- this is a good discussion, but we'll get to it. I wanted to talk to you. Look, you and I have been proponents of replay to a certain degree. I, I think it – in some ways, I am a little bit more against replay than you are. In fact, I know it because I hate replay in almost every avenue except for football. I think it, it, I think it stops the game a lot. I think it delays the game in every sport, especially in baseball. But here we are with the Kentucky Derby. And I didn't watch the Derby because I have absolutely no interest in horse racing. And it always happens on our birthday weekend. So I just don't watch it. Sure. I'd like to go. I'd like to go to the Kentucky Derby. I think it would be kind of cool to go. But I'm not going to just sit at home at 3 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon or 6 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon and watch the Derby. So the Derby was basically decided, and then 22 minutes later, due to a challenge, not an official's challenge, but rather a, a challenge by another horse racing horse owner, that the, the horse – they went to the replay, and the horse was, was discovered to have gone off kilter a little bit. And because of that, $6 million in Vegas changed hands, and probably 20 or $30 million in stud fees 
amongst everything else changed hands due to this. I don't know if you saw it live. I did not, but the point is, where do you come down on this? Do you think that they should be using this as much as they are in this sport and everything else? Replay is certainly getting a whole lot of attention in the NFL, in the NBA, in Major League Baseball, in, in soccer. We talked about a strike zone last week of maybe just using the outline of a pitching zone for, for balls and strikes. How much do you think should be subjective and how much should, should be based on a replay or objectivity? Well, I think it's a sport-by-sport sport basis. I think soccer unequivocally, yes. It's a goal. Why? It's not a goal. Very simple. Because there's okay. It's a, that is not that is it's a goal, not a goal. Period. That's 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 the computer. That's all it is. And I have no problem with that because that is a minute and done. Horse racing, it's been like this for as far as I know. It's been like, they've had that replay for a while. And I don't know enough about the sport to really detail, you know, whether it's whether the challenge was right or wrong. According to what I read this morning, or yesterday, I forget which, because I'm senile in my old age, um, this was a typical challenge that most of the people in the horse racing community agreed with. There was no controversy about it, only from, a, from, from people in the industry standpoint, only from the casual fans who watch it once a year, were the people who bet on maximum security. Um, again, I, I, it's something I have less of a problem because they can only challenge after the race is done, so it's not slowing down the race. You know, the, you know, baseball. We've talked about football. We've talked about basketball. We've talked about um, in sports where you know the big issue is you know part of it is human error. I'm, is what it is. More to me, it's the you know slowing down of the show, slowing down of things, and making it which baseball does and the NBA does, which is why it drives me crazy. But no, it's after the shit afterwards. And if there's a legitimate challenge, and the only way you can check it, which would make sense to me, is after the, is during is, is seeing it on replay. I have no problem with that. So, I have a couple of problems with it, and maybe. It's not the replay, but rather the rules. So the Kentucky Derby has, I believe, 20 horses in it. And every other major race has only 14. There are only so many places where horses can go. Horses are not small animals. And if you're veering off track to avoid another horse, these are not human beings. You can't... I think that's where my problem lies. Maybe it's with the rule rather than with the replay. Agreed. Sean, we don't, know enough, we don't know enough about horse racing to make a determination but on I do, the fairness but of the I rules. Do know, hold on. But I do know one thing, Seth. I know if I veer yeah, off course, horses. that's me. Hold on. I do know if I veer off course in a race, if I'm running a race and I veer off course, I know I am in complete control of that. Right? It's me. That's it. I'm, I'm, it's my legs, it's my arms, it's me. 100% me. I don't need to know enough, I don't need to know a whole lot about horse racing to know that it's not me. (laughs) It's a horse. 
And when you get to that point where it's not only you, then how much control can you actually have? This is an animal that weighs twice, as, twice, twice five times, ten times, as much as the jockey that's riding on it. I just don't see but that how is also you can what have the jockey, the But that's, that's also what yeah. the jockey is for, though. They know how they know the rule. Whether the rule is right or wrong, I can't gauge. I don't know the sport well enough. But okay. it's what the rule is. And the jockey's responsibility. Why, when they're in the Kentucky Derby, they have the chance to win millions of dollars because they're good enough to, to know the rules and be able to use their horses to avoid breaking them. So, yeah, I understand your point that there's 20 horses, although usually two or three drop out before for whatever reason. Um, it's, not, I ha, it's not a sport. I can talk a lot about a lot of different sports. This is not one of them. Okay, well, I I'm going to get you in. I'm, I'm going to get you into a sport that you can talk a lot about, and I think this okay. is maybe this is a little bit to do with your dad because, look, for for those that are new to the program, and I don't think that there are many of them, but if there are, let's understand <laughs> that Seth's dad. Be nice if there would be. Well, look, to be fair, Seth's dad was a sports guy growing up, and still is. Yeah. If he he nah, follows sports. Really. He's fu- He's followed basketball his whole life. He follows tennis, yeah. which is where Seth kind of gets his, his, uh, his love of those two sports from, I would believe. Uh, my father had no interest in sports at all. Uh, I don't know where I got my love for sports from at all. But it was probably from statistics. But at the same point, Seth grew up with stories about basketball, and I grew up with stories not about basketball. So one guy that I'm sure your dad did talk about at some point was John Havlicek, who passed away this past week. Could he possibly be in the top five underrated players of all time, even as a Celtic? Yeah, he probably was. Um, He may have been the second greatest Celtic of all time behind Russell. Um, When you talk... When you, when I started following sports in the early '80s, when you had your greatest, your all-time team. You now again, there was no Magic, there was no Bird, there was no Jordan. The team was relatively cut and dry, with the exception of the center position. Your guards mm-hmm. were Oscar Robertson and Jerry, and Jerry West. Your forwards were Elgin Baylor, with some combination of Elgin Baylor, Bob Pettit or John Havlicek. And then your center was either Russell or Chamberlain. Or Abdul-Jabbar, um, I would think, Hav- right? No, Kareem, Kareem wasn't in that yeah, bracket yet. Oh, it's the, it's the beginning of the 80s. Not, the beginning, beginning yeah, of the not, 80s. Okay. He was there, but he, his career wasn't. He was only halfway through his career. Um, okay, fair. And the way my dad had said it, it was Russell. My dad, okay. to this day, believes Bill Russell was the greatest player of all time. Um, now... Time pa- what happens is, and this is interesting, we see this more and more, you know, time passes and the accolades for these athletes die down. I mean, you never, of all the players I've named, you don't really hear any of them other than maybe Jerry West forgetting the center on, a top, on an all-time team anymore. And West would be 
the third shooting, second or third shooting guard. Probably be the third shooting guard. Oscar Robertson, maybe the third. You don't hear any of those forwards. They've all been surpassed. Again, not saying they've been surpassed in regards to that guys like Garnett or Duncan were better or not better. Just nobody, people don't remember. Just not in re- people remember Havlicek. Yeah, right. nobody remembers Bob Pettit scored get fifty points in Game Six of the '57 championship. You know, yes. because yes, well, it was it's the '57 championship. Out of sight, out of mind. Out of mind. I mean, and out of YouTube. I mean, if you so, look, if you if you ask a hundred people today, a hundred forty year olds or less today, who the top left fielder of all time is, even the top hitting left fielder of all time. There will be one answer and one answer only, and that will be Barry Bonds. If you ask the people 60 and over who the top left fielder is of all time, there will be one answer and one answer only, Ted Williams. Ted Williams. be close. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no comparison to them, and quite frankly, there probably shouldn't be. But when you're out of sight, out of mind, that's exactly what happens. So continue on. I'm sorry. When I've asked my dad about Havlicek over the years, the way that I understand it, I mean, he was a 6'4 guard forward, which don't really exist anymore. He was a winner at Ohio State, where he won one championship and went to two other finals. He won, must have been six or seven championships. He came in, I want to say, in 62. He retired in 78, right before Bird came in. He was the winner. He was the clutch guy. He was the guy you wanted taking the 18-foot jump shot with five seconds left. He's the guy who Johnny Most, you know, he's now best known as the guy Johnny Most dreams stole the ball in the 1969 uh, Eastern Conference Final against Philly. When he stole an inbounds pass in Game 7, that was supposed to go to Chet Walker instead of Will Chamberlain, which no one will understand why. Um, he was the winner. He was the All-American guy. And, you know, it's what happens. Unless you're someone who needs the publicity or really wants the publicity after you retire, which he never really, like, you never really heard him in a basketball realm once his career was over. He wasn't a coach. He wasn't a GM. I don't think he ever did any broadcasting. He was just Hondo to the Boston, and he beloved in Boston. And sometimes he seemed like the guy that you didn't really want to play. He hated to play against, but, man, you loved to have as a teammate. And yep, and, there, and the Celtics were full of those guys. One of them is Danny Ainge, who in the 80s, I, yeah. as a Knicks fan, hated beyond all belief. Uh, another thing, Seth, if, I, if I'm correct, and granted I'm doing this off the top of my head, he won on Olympic medal in 64 as well. So I think he... No, in 60. When you say... It wouldn't have been 64. 60? It would have been 60. Sorry, but 60. And that was the greatest... John, that, was, that was with John Lucas, right? Sorry. Jerry Lucas. Jerry Lucas, excuse me. Uh, yeah, yeah. Jerry Lucas, that was probably the greatest... Uh, Olympic team prior to 84. And then after 84 comes the loss in 88 and then the dream team in 92. 60 was the team 
with, Oscar, I believe, Oscar Robertson, although I could be wrong, and Jerry West, and Jerry Lucas, and Havlicek, that team was stacked. I believe they were coached by Pat, by, uh, by, uh, Newell, by Newell, Pete Newell. Um, and they, they dominated in school. They dominated in 1960. If you'd like to call in, 760-283-0846, 760-283-0846. I'm looking up the Olympic team right now, 1960 men's Olympic team, the roster, if you will. J.R. Nett, Walt Bellamy, Bob Boozer, Terry DeShinger, Bernard Halderson. Point guard from Purdue. Darnell Imhoff, Alan Kelly, Darryl Lester Imhoff. Lane, Darryl, what did I say, Darnell? Uh, Alan Kelly, yeah. Lester Lane, Jerry Lucas, Oscar Robertson, Adrian Smith, and Jerry West. Coached by, trying to see who coached. Uh, you're right, Pete Noel and Dutch Lomberg. So, uh, oh, I don't know Dutch Lomberg, but then I know the were, coach of were, the 1960 Olympic team. I should get some depth for that one. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you, well, two things. First of all, I got that Havlicek was even on the team. So this is number one. Number two, there were actually four rookies of the year in, on that team, which I don't know you could say on any in even in the dream team, I don't I think there possible. were four rookies of the year. I don't know. So it was received by Robertson, DeShinger, Bellamy, and Lucas. Okay. Well, Terry I, Dissinger was a nice well, player. I think he Hold on, to- hold on. Now I know why. Now I know why. So DeShinger was 19. Lucas was, one was 20. One was 20. One was 21. Robertson was, was 21. And West was 22. Exactly. So they did not play all fresh, all seniors on that Olympic team. That Olympic team was, no, was freshmen through freshmen through seniors. Right. right. Um, yeah, no, I don't know. I recognize most of the names. I didn't know who Alan Kelly was. That one, that one so, I don't know. So and the Lester Lane? That sounds like a professional wrestler. Lester Lane. So Le- Alan Kelly was a guard that went to Kansas. He was picked in round seven of the round seven of the NBA draft by the Milwaukee Hawks. Okay, there may be a reason why you didn't know that. Um, he wasn't. Okay, so let's go to the next guy, Lester Lane. Lester Lane was five foot ten, 170 pounds. He died at 41 in 1973. Uh, he was. Oh, well, this is the reason why you wouldn't know him. He was picked in the ninth round, 52nd overall, <laughs> by, the, by the Philadelphia Warriors. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the concept of nine rounds in the NBA draft these days is laughable. There could be nine rounds, but let's also understand that back then you're dealing with, what, eight teams, Seth? Eight or nine yeah. teams? Right? So... You could pick all these guys, but not everybody's – nobody's ever going to play. I mean, I think you had 12-man teams at that point. There weren't even 15 or 16. So, I mean, you're at the point where, holy smokes, that's a lot of people. And that draft must have gone on forever, an NBA draft. But then again, let's remember the NBA draft was not televised back then. I don't even think it was on the radio. It It was probably a phone call between all the general managers. 
That's how the NHL draft was done in the 50s and 60s as well. So, at the end of the day, not bad. But let's go on to the present. Let, we, we've talked about Hondo. Uh, definitely a loss for the NBA community. But the NBA is still going on. And as you said, we did not uh, – we saw a lot of this parody, perhaps. But we definitely did not see what was happening in Milwaukee and Boston with Milwaukee going into uh, – sorry, Boston going into Milwaukee. No, Milwaukee going into Boston. I had it right the first time. And pulling out both games. I don't see Boston coming back from this at all. No, I don't I think this is over in, I think this is over in the next game. I don't and even think they, get, they yeah. get – yeah, I don't even think it's done. Um, and then we have the – I'm sorry. Then we have the Rockets and the, – the Rockets and Golden State at two to two, and Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson not exactly shooting the lights out over there. I think Houston's going to pull this out. I mean, Golden State's just not playing well, and this could be the end of that 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 whatever mini dynasty that you may talk about. Uh, I don't think it's a mini dynasty. When you win three out of four, I think that's just a dynasty. Uh, I don't. Okay, fair I think enough. Golden State wins. I thought Houston got lucky to win. was pretty fortunate to win both games three and four. And Golden State may have been fortunate to win game one. Um, I just, look, I just think Golden State's a better team. I think if Houston wins this, I I think, I do think this becomes open season for the final. Because I I wouldn't put them favor. I don't know how much I'd favor them over either of the other teams in the Western Conference. They may win, but I wouldn't have them an overwhelming favorite, and I wouldn't have them a big favorite over any of the teams in the East either, which would be extraordinarily well, t- interesting. Well, all right. So, let, so let's go to the other series. First, you got Portland and you got Denver, which is one of the more entertaining series I have ever seen, if not the most entertaining series I have ever seen. I have watched really? every the game most of that entertaining series. series? Yeah. You watched the four <laughs> overtime game that ended at two in the I morning. I did. I'm impressed. I did. Well, part of the reason that I watch these games is because I enjoy – look, I know a lot of people don't enjoy parody. In the NBA, I do. I do. I really enjoy – I really enjoy series that are close, which is why I'm enjoying Golden State and Houston this year. While last year, you know what? It was 2-2. But the games just weren't fun to watch. They were all blowouts. At least this year, I'm enjoying watching the games, and because they're so close, I did watch all four overtimes of the Portland Denver game, because I enjoy watching these two teams. I enjoy, especially without Nurchik, and the and people would say, why do you enjoy it without one of their best players? Well, to tell you the truth, they play more as a team without him than they did with him. And I think can't I enjoy watching Enos Canner as well because I think he got a bum rap. He's gotten a bum rap everywhere he's gone. So Denver is a tremendous team. If if you're picking, if you're saying that Houston wins against Golden State, I having watched both Denver and Portland throughout this series, I would pick them as favorites over Portland, but underdogs versus Denver. I can see that. I think I think both are interesting matchups. I think Denver's size is, would give Houston a real problem, yes. and Portland has a score in Lillard 
who is, although he has not played great in the series, um, who can keep us? Now, the defense, the defense of Lillard is a problem. The defense, excuse me, of Harden is a problem. The defense of Harden is a problem for everybody, always. So, it will be really interesting to see how yeah, I mean, this is like as you said. This is a, I wouldn't put it as an all-time great series, but this is a lot. This is a very fun series. And what's nice is I don't think anybody really has the feel for how it's going to end up going. Who's your comparison? Who's your comp to Damian Lillard? I got one guy on my mind. All time or right Let's now, see you, or in college? All time, all time. I want to see if you come up with the same guy that I do. I got one guy. The one that comes to my mind, and it's not really complimentary to Lillard, is Tiny Archibald. Um, uh, I don't really – because he wasn't the leader. He wasn't the leader that Lillard is. Correct. Um, I'm trying to think of, well, you just you just named the exact quality that this guy that I'm thinking about possesses. Okay, to me, he's Isaiah Thomas. Like... He's Isaiah Thomas. He puts teams on his back. He says, I got you. And the rest of the team is merely complimentary. In fact, the team itself reminds me of Detroit. I mean, you can go position by position. They remind me of Detroit. They don't have really? a Dennis Rodman. I get that. Well, think about it. All right. So Lillard plays the role. Uh, now, look, each of these, is, they're not perfect, right? But they're, they're comparable. So you have Lillard plays the role of Isaiah. T.J. McCollum plays the role of Joe Dumars. Okay, with me so far? Does that make sense? Dumars is a little no. bit better of a – well, Dumars is a better defensive Dumars player, but not as good of a scorer. Agreed. Jumar is a much better okay. defensive player. McCollum is a better scorer. Um, Seth Curry Isaiah plays the role of Vinny Johnson. Fine. But Seth Curry okay. hasn't been that successful as Vinny was. You know, he is playing that well now, but this is the first year of him being really this successful doing so. I'm Look, I don't watch Portland every game of every year. I've watched them the last four okay. games. So I'm taking, I'm taking okay. the four games and saying – this is the team that it reminds me of. Okay, so Lame Beer is Enos Canner. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm just, uh, for no other reason. He's just Enos Canner. Aminu plays the role of Mahorn. Now, I'm not saying, again, that's a stretch. That is a big stretch. Is a I get stretch. it. Mahorn was, more, Mahorn was more inside and Aminu is more outside. But overall, this team is one guy. Damian Lillard, and a bunch of complimentary players. And that's what Detroit and the bad boys were all about. It's Isaiah Thomas. Look, Joe Dumars is probably a top 100 guy of all time, maybe 150. But could you see McCollum being that by the end of his career? Perhaps. I don't think he is, but he, perhaps he could be. I just see this team as just like that. And quite frankly, I don't see Denver that much off either which is why this series is such a good series. Denver just doesn't have the one guy. They have everybody. 
Yeah. So well, anyway, there was a reason I that I thought there was, no, there, there was a reason I thought they could make a run this year. I wasn't like I was trying when we picked and I did because I very rarely pick anything right. When I had them going to the conference finals in September, it was because I looked at this team as the team that missed the playoffs the last two years, but they'd missed by a game. They are talented and they are so deep. Yeah. They have an you know their stud look their stud is their center their stud is, is Jokic, who is a top yep. ten to fifteen player. But they are you know Murray is excellent Gary Harris is excellent Millsap is a good player. Yeah, you know, and remember Michael Porter hasn't played a minute this year. Yep. Yeah, you know, they they will be very dangerous going forward. Well, let's remember that this team is so deep that. Remember, Nurchich, the guy that's over in, in Portland, was traded because he couldn't coexist with Jorkic. So it's not a – this team had too much talent. And I'm not even sure if you had Michael Porter on this team right now, whether that would be – he would be getting any playing time. Just not sure. So you're right. They have a lot more growing up to do. And the best part about this team, at least for them – is that they're not they're cohesive. They don't have. I think Millsap's a free agent after next year. I think Gary Harris is a restricted free agent. If Stan Kroenke wants to keep this team together, he can. He may have to go into the luxury tax to do it, but he can keep it together if he wants to, at least for one or two more years. And by then, maybe Michael Porter plays the role of Paul Millsap, and then you're just younger even more so. And Seth, did you watch the last Portland game, Portland-Denver? I think that was Sunday night. I did not. Did you catch any of that? Okay, so Jamal Murray. I did not. I was at a wedding. Hits like, Jamal Murray hits like eight free throws in the last minute and a half. And right. from the guy who went to Syracuse with a team that can't hit a free throw to save its life, this guy didn't even hit the rim once. Eight free throws. Boom, 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 boom. To have a guy like that on your team that you know will just knock him down at any point is there's no comparison. There's no substitute for having that type of guy. And look, the one thing that concerns me about Denver, if there is something going forward, and it's the same thing that concerns me, it, it doesn't concern me as much about Portland is the reliance on Jokic. So if you, pa- if, you pack the, if you pack the paint and you put bodies on Jokic, and granted, he passes out of that double team very well, but it's not – so far he hasn't played a defensive presence like Clint Capella. He hasn't played a, a guy like – and I'm not – look, I'm not saying that Brooke Lopez is the second coming. But Brook Lopez is a, is a good defensive seven-footer. He hasn't played one of those guys yet. Enos Kanter is not a defensive player. He just hasn't played against guys like that. And I believe each of the remaining teams has a guy like that that can body up on Jokic, even though Jokic is 260-some on pounds. So that would be my concern about Denver. But in any event, this is going to be really, really fun in the West Coast in the Western Conference, and it's going to make me stay up past my bedtime every single night probably for the rest of the week, which, yeah, 
Whatever, I'm old. I can deal with it. <laughs> so, uh, we should talk quickly about the, uh, the yeah. Toronto uh, Leonard's versus Philly. Sure, absolutely. So Leonard, <laughs> I like how you say Leonard versus Philly, not Toronto against Philly. Yeah. Leonard has put himself in a different stratosphere of playoff competitors. He's by far the best player in, the, in these playoffs. It's not even close. And if he wasn't getting a max from every single team after this year, he is now. Um, not only the best offensive player in the playoffs, but the best defensive player as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I do hope they win. Because I'm just curious to see what will happen to Philly if they don't make the conference finals with this team and their four stars who – seem to very uneasily coexist. I'm just curious as heck to see how, how Philly how Philly will handle this in the offseason. Well, well, let me ask you this. Going back to what you were saying with Philly, if Kawhi Leonard is the best player in the playoffs, which I believe he is, maybe Jokic is number two in the playoffs given the, the stat lines that he's been throwing out. Is Jimmy Butler the third best player in the playoffs this year? Because I think he is. No, I don't think so. Um, I, I think the three best players have been uh, Leonard, Durant, and Jokic. Um, okay. I mean, I just have a. I I, I do not see an issue with. Jimmy Butler getting multiple, multiple max contracts there for this year. Yeah, I, I believe it, you it, actually. I believe you actually were against this when we talked about it earlier a couple of weeks ago, and I'm always reticent, just as I'm reticent to draft a, you know, to make a draft pick based on an NCAA tournament run. I'm reticent to offer five years to a 32-year-old swingman at $40 million a year. No, I get based that. Primarily I, I'm not, I'm not, on... I'm not, saying I want, I'm not saying I want my team to take him. I'm just saying he'll get him. Numerous. And I would not be the least bit surprised if one of them is your Brooklyn Nets. I would be. I actually don't think he fits. This is a team that's really built on built on a good camaraderie, and that is something which he has failed uh, from several occasions. That, that he just he that he that's never really been his forte, unfortunately. So I, I'd be surprised. Okay. Well, we have five minutes to go. Uh, first of all, how was the wedding? That that you asked me about my social life. So how was how was your night out? My night out was great, but <laughs> we we it was great to get eleven hours of sleep. It was our first night without the kid, without the kids. But you have to bring up what just happened in Champions League. In one of the most amazing comebacks I think I've ever seen in sports. Did you see this or no? No, I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Zero. Bar- Barcelona Liverpool. Two best, two of the three best teams in Europe for soccer this year. Barcelona goes up 3-0 in game one. They bench their two best 
Have a great time, everybody. Have a good one.